Hello and welcome back to the Miss Amanda Chen Show. Thanks for joining me for the eighth installment of the 100 Masked Men series, where I interview men from all walks of life about what masculinity means to them and interacting with women in 2020. I truly enjoyed the open and honest conversations I had this week. Masked Man number eight is the Masked Chef. He talks about growing up with three moms, toxic masculinity in the hospitality industry, the idea of customers acting like your boss, and we even talk about what consent is like for people in long-term committed relationships. I'm so glad to have some representation of the hospitality industry on the show, and I really hope you enjoyed this episode. So let's get into it. Yeah, so I am a uh, white, mid-30s uh, man. I'm a, a chef by trade, and I've been working in the food and beverage industry for quite some time. I grew up in a family that was a little bit unorthodox, so my mother has been an open lesbian for quite some time. Okay, so I hear that you recently got engaged. So what was the turning point to make that decision for you? Yeah, it's, I, I just felt like it was time. I um, Like I said, I was, I'm in my mid-30s, and I've been through relationships, and I think I've gotten to a point where I know myself very well. I know what I don't want in a relationship and I know what I do want. And to me, this engagement was about, you know, the fact that it's it's something I do want. We share values, we share moral compass. And, you know, we don't always agree, but I don't think it's healthy to always agree. It's, you know, I think it's more about us as people wanting to grow together and have a life together. What would you say typically other men struggle with in terms of like deciding to go to the next level? Right. Because I think there's a lot of options for you to remain in the same place. And there's always people saying like, oh, if it if it isn't broken, why fix it kind of thing? Let's just stay where we are, go with the flow and like forever stay in this kind of easy convenience space. So what would compel a man to want to take the next step and, and grow? Yeah, I, I think there's a few things, you know, humans by nature, I think, are um, quick to rush into things. And adversely, I think that there's a real element, especially with the online dating apps of like, the grass is always greener. And so I think that there's this real indecision and in, like, we're trying to predict the future. And it's like, oh, am I doing something wrong? And, you know, is there something that could be better? Or maybe this isn't right? Or it's a lot of kind of anxiety around, <laughs> around making the decision. And I think a lot of that has to do with them knowing themselves and knowing what they want. I, I, I feel good about the fact that I'm in my mid thirties. I know it's unorthodox and I, I've seen a lot of people get married at 20 and 25 and I'm not a really big believer in people rushing things. I, I don't think that makes sense. And I think that you end up with a lot of bad decisions when you rush and I take your time and make sure it's right. But also, you know, when it is right, then feel free to, to, to move on. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think you hit it right on the nail, like the uncertainty or the what if, and if you don't know exactly what it is, then you're going to circle around and it's really tough to ask people to look internally and and figure out what that actually is because it's so much easier to just project outward and hope that the other person's just going to fill that void for you. So I've noticed this a lot more among men. So you tell me if this is true in terms of like seeking help for their mental health. I feel like women are quicker or more intuitive to desire that. And I also think that, you know, there's just been a lot more pressure for women to be what everyone else is expecting of them. People like please everyone in this, in this way. And then they, ex they experience burnout faster, I'd say. Whereas men, you know, they have this different need of being masculine and tough and strong and unemotional. So they kind of hide their feelings for a very long time until they finally unleash them. Is, is that how you would relate to it? Or like, where, where would you because I, I know you're a huge like mental health advocate. So where on, on the male side's journey of, you know, self-awareness, 
how did how do you associate with that journey? Yeah, I mean, I it, it took me a long time to really recognize or realize kind of my like self awareness. Period. I mean, it's um, it certainly wasn't something that I was really good at, and I'm still trying to work on it. I think that it's a skill, and you know, like any skill, like you have to work on it for it to be better. I agree 100. I think that generally speaking, men are really not good at asking for help, and are really not good at seeking help. I, I think there's a lot of norms that have existed in our culture for a long time around what a man is. And unfortunately, I think it's been taboo for a long time to talk about mental health. That's one thing I wish I could change. It's it's really a challenge. Um, you're absolutely right that, yeah, generally men, men don't speak about it at all. And it's just not even a thought. It's like, oh, you're just sad right now. You're having a hard week or whatever, you know? Yeah. And I think a big part of that is community. Like women have each other to talk forever, right? They just love to chat with each other and they're allowed to talk like that. They have permission to do so. Whereas guys can't talk with guys about feelings and things without them being extremely close with each other and some kind of like brotherly love. Like you can't just talk immensely close with someone that you just met. Whereas I think other women can do that with like someone in the bathroom. So how, how do you seek that comfort or, and how do you open up to male peers? Yeah. I mean, I think again, it's just tools that we need to equip ourselves with. And I think that having that dialogue with your friends normalizes it. And because it has been so distant for, for so long, I think it's so important to really just start by doing it. You know, even if you're not sure as to like what it means, start doing work and start looking into it. Again, it's just a really weak skill that we have. And I think for me personally, it's it's been a real game changer. You know, I've had some amazing heart to hearts with your friends because ultimately, like if you can't talk to your friends and who can you talk to? Yeah, it's it's tough for sure. Do you feel like I don't know if you've ever done this personally, but you know, before you kind of looked inward on you and did the work for yourself, did you rely on women to fill that void for you? So, I mean, okay, I've always had really great friends in my life that were for, that were female. Um, it's just it's just something that I've always had, and I know some people like talk about how they have more male or more female, and for me, it's I don't even view it like that. It's just if I if I bond with a person, then that's the person. But I've always felt that connection is real, and I've I've always had great conversations with both men and, and women. I would say that it's definitely gotten more. The mental health conversation has gotten more prevalent. You know, after doing self reflection, it's not about again the external like you know situations. It's more about the internal. So how do you get someone to want to do that? I think people often mistake the problem with the symptoms. And I think that the symptoms are generally the idea is that there's something greater there. And so really, you know, this person needs to be wanting to do to, to make a change because it, it's it might seem mundane or easy that it's like okay maybe therapy is the first step and maybe that's not the first step but let's just say that it is in this context and like it might seem like a, a normal basic thing like you know I just gonna have a phone call like or virtual therapy once you know once a week and that might seem like a small thing but that's actually a huge step of just actually trying to start working on that self-growth so I, I think the conversation is bigger than just that it's about if the person's ready to grow or not if they want to grow how is that challenged by like kind of male norms of got to do everything myself you know I got it all figured I already got it all figured out I don't need help there's no point getting help like I'm the provider (laughs) yeah yeah no I I think it's I think it's a huge problem quite frankly I mean I, I was chatting earlier today about about something similar in 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 the hospitality food and beverage industry it really is a hard hard issue that there's so many men who aren't ready to talk about it and don't talk about it and as a result like you said there's a lot of burnout and a lot of other things that can happen from this I don't know that there's an easy answer there do you think industry affects that conversation like there's certain industries that are more 
okay with that versus others? Like, would you say that um, the hospitality space, at least like with chefs, it's very alpha? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, and I think part of that is because of the brigade system, which is, you know, derived from the military system. And so it does have very much the like, yes, chef, make it nice. And you're going to do it once and you can't make any mistakes. So I think that factors in like psychological safety as well, where like there is very little psychological safety in that, that space. And so, you know, if people don't feel any psychological safety, how are they going to talk ever about their mental health or be vulnerable with anybody? Yeah, you're right. Yeah. And I would just add like, I, I do think that there are other industries that are quite poor. Like, I, I don't think that our industry is unique in that sense. I just think our industry has quite a few challenges that are amplified. Well, I think you said basically anything pretty militant, right? With like the hierarchy system, which is a lot of systems, right? Um, that's automatically going to create that pressure where you're right. There's, there's no safety and everyone's on guard and everyone's trying to step over the other. So what kind of behaviors would you consider toxic masculine behaviors in your personal life? In my personal life, I think that like you're, you're saying, I think systemically there's some real issues. I think that it's unfortunate the way that people will look at a man and a woman and kind of assume that the man is the decision maker. Like, I think that there's a lot of constructs like this. I, you know, I think that there's certainly a shift starting to happen. And I also think that kind of how you surround yourself and who you surround yourself with is a really huge step there. But you're absolutely right. Like on a day-to-day -day basis, I see it definitely happen in, in restaurants. And, um, you know, the whole bro culture is really kind of just appalling. I, I think that it's important to say that I'm sure in my career, I've been complicit to it. Absolutely. I'm sure that like anyone growing up in an industry, you know, I'm taught certain norms, but I've done a really, or I've made a really conscious effort over the last, well, let's say six, seven years to, to really get away from that. And it's at a point where to me, it's just, that doesn't impress me. It just doesn't do anything for me. And to me, that's a quick unfollow, you know? Who would be chef guys that you would look up to? Like is Anthony Bourdain still the guy for you? And, you know, would, would you consider some of his behavior toxic? Yeah, Anthony, Anthony Bourdain's never really been the guy for me. As an entertainer, I appreciate where he's come from. I think uh, Kitchen Confidential was a, a very entertaining book, but I think it's also damaging in the fact that like what he's glamorizing and the lifestyle he's glamorizing is what has drawn a lot of people in. I appreciate his journey. It's hard to tell what's performative and what's real. It's a really hard, a really hard question to answer, like, which is funny because it shouldn't be. Like, who do you, who do you look up to? Like, it should be a fairly easy answer. It's definitely not as easy as that. So then how do you figure out what's like the right move? You know, I think you might not always make the right decision, but I think being true to yourself and being comfortable making that mistake, you know, it's, it's, again, it's a lot of, uh, I think it's a lot of self-work and a lot of, you know, I constantly try to educate myself more and I constantly try to learn new things. So about the kitchen, it's ma it's a mainly male dominated space. So how do you equalize the space with female cooks in the kitchen? Is it, is it really discouraged for them? Yeah, no, that's again, yeah, that's a great question. Uh, you know, I, first and foremost, I think it's important to recognize the fact that female cooks are cooks. So I think having that balance is super important. At my current place, pre-COVID, uh, I actually had probably 50% females. So, and that's like, a, let's say a team of like 15 people. I think that setting the tone and leading by example. My chef de cuisine, she's amazing and she's 
she earns every every day she earns her job. You know, some of the best cooks that I've ever worked with are female. But I acknowledge that it's a very hard industry as well for for women because there's so much bullshit that they have to deal with. Do you know of any examples that you can share? I think there's examples of people getting promotions before other people. And there's like, you know, off the top of my head and specific examples, I, I, I don't really have any to share, but I've just seen it throughout my whole career, right? And I'm really lucky. And some of the early restaurants I've worked at have had, again, each of the restaurants have had such amazing cooks who happen to be women. Honestly, I can I can say that is that probably some of the best cooks I've ever worked with were women. It's just important to recognize that other than gender, what's the difference? You know, because they're doing the same job. How do you know that that person deserved it over the other person? I think the problem with our industry is there's not a lot of conversations. So even if this happens, I feel oftentimes, whether it's a man or a woman, they'll they'll just kind of keep it to themselves and bottle it up because we're taught to just constantly repress, right? Mm -hmm. Repress and suppress. And so, you know, I I think there's a lot of challenges there, but um, yeah, I, there's one place in particular that I'm thinking to um, that I worked at several years ago, which was like a fine dining restaurant. Um, And it was, it was a pretty fancy restaurant and there was a young woman who worked there and um, yeah, she kept on getting passed over. And I, I don't know, for me, I don't know exactly why I felt like it was, I felt like it was really unfair to her. And I think she got to a point where she just left, wasn't doing anything for her. Another example would be there's a young woman who came in to do a stage with the restaurant. Um, she was from Brazil um, and she had been working in uh, San Francisco at this really fancy restaurant up there and came to, to, came to Toronto to work with us here. And uh, she worked for free for like two, two weeks or three weeks. And uh, they didn't offer her the job, which again, to me was like kind of mind blowing because this woman was pretty fucking awesome. And the fact that she worked for free for so long was just again, mind blowing. You know, I don't think that the chef would ever specifically or explicitly say, hey, you know what? She's not getting it because she's a female, but I wonder how it would have looked if she was a man. So I want to get into the restaurant culture. It's kind of the number one place for people to have dates. And out of your experience of seeing how they happen, what have you noticed in terms of gender roles or like the types of ways that people behave? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, online dating has really changed the restaurant game in a lot of ways. I worked at a place that uh, we had a guy who would come in every other day with a different girl. And like he was just kind of became like known as a douche, (laughs) I don't know. And, um, you know, it's, I almost feel like it, it became so normalized that it's just what it is. And I feel like that's such a common story where it's like these people have, these guys have their like normal, normal hangout spots that they go to that's probably close to their house. And they go to a place that has booze and have a couple of drinks. And then it's like, okay, cool. Let's, uh, why don't we do something else? And it's like, I feel like that's just become so normalized in our society. And, you know, online dating has changed a lot of things. And to be honest, for some people, maybe it's worked. And I don't think there's any problem around that. But I think we need to also understand that there's some harmful things that also come from it. Yeah, for sure. Have you seen anything that was, you know, any any stories that you can share in general? Uh, like maybe like just inappropriate things? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've seen people try to have sex in bathrooms all the time. Like, you know, like it's just uh, not to say there's anything wrong with that. It's just, I guess, when you're at a restaurant, respecting other people's boundaries too, you know, like understanding where you are. It's hard to say from the kitchen side because my interaction wasn't always directly with these guests. Yeah, I guess it's different on your side because like I'm from front of house. So my hardest thing is getting people to leave. Being a woman, it's hard to command that control or that power, especially to another man because he's like, I'm the guest here. I can decide if I want to stay or go, right? So I always need backup. And I find that really challenging because then I'm not respected. 
Yeah, I mean, I think the power dynamics of guests and people who work in restaurants is so hard because perception is because I'm paying you right now and I'm, I'm eating here, so I'm essentially paying you, I'm your boss. And so even though you might have these suggestions in place, they're not necessarily policies, which is not the case, right? Like, I mean, it's like, imagine someone going to a bank and treating people the way that they treat servers. Like, it's just, it would never happen. Oh, I don't care. You're, you're closed. Oh, you're going to open in 20 minutes. It's okay. I'll just hang out here in the lobby. Like, it's not a thing. So, I mean, I think absolutely, you're absolutely right in saying, I think there are uh, a lot of issues with the way that women are treated in, in terms of as servers. But I think on a whole, the power dynamics is so are so far off. And I think we're complicit as long as we let guests get away with this. You know, I think that, you know, we need to also, as a restaurant industry, come together and especially right now during the, the pandemic, now is the time to make these shifts. Like the restaurant industry needs to change. And the whole idea is like, oh, well, if you want a, a good tip, then you have to flirt with me or you have to do this. It's like, I'm actually just doing my job right now. Like, I'm not trying to get your number. Like, I don't even care about you. I don't want to know your name. You're you're literally like my third hour of work right now. And I'm trying to get you food. And I think there's a real misunderstanding there too, right? Like where the guys are like, oh, well, she's being so nice to me. Like, you know, <laughs> like I've definitely heard a lot of that. And it's just like, I, I actually had a, a server i remember this very early on and the table made her cry at like and poor girl like i don't know exactly the situation of what happened but it was like a family and they were just really awful to her and then afterwards one of the sons came and it's like you're a horrible server but it's okay because i'll take you out anyways or like something to that effect i just remember hearing that and being like that is so fucked up dude like i don't know who you think you are where you think you are and you know it's just Again, I don't know if it's like lack of self-awareness or lack of etiquette or all of them. And again, like toxic mas masculinity, like the idea of the power dynamic, it's all of them, I guess. But it's just such an unfortunate thing that like at the end of the day, as a server, your job is to still go back to that table and still interact with these people. Yeah, it really sucks. Like you can't, you can't get out of it. Whereas like in any other profession, you, you could, you could stop working with this person, right? Like there, there, there's sure. layers of, of um, support. Whereas I don't think there is in, in that space. And yeah, like power is a huge thing because I see a lot of the times where if female server isn't giving a man enough attention, he will complain about it and then she'll get in trouble. So I have this huge issue with how that reinforces the story that women always will be punished if they decide to go against the man's work. And what, like, what do you think about that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, uh, I hate to say it, but it's, it's pretty accurate, right? I mean, it's, I would love to see that shift in our generation and our lifetime, but I feel like that's something that's been happening for hundreds of years. Yeah. So it, it takes forever to, to undo that. Where would you think would be the best ways of going about that? Because from my, my point of view, I think it's very difficult to reach those guys. And I also see like guys like you who just avoid those guys. How will you reach those guys and how will they want change? Yeah, super, super complicated, right? I hired a guy recently. He was supposed to be a sous chef and uh, he seemed like a nice guy. And uh, he started becoming like fitting into the team and socializing. And then he sent uh, a text message to one of the other sous chefs. I, she, he, he said something to her to the effect of like, oh, I'm just enjoying some beers in the tub and sent her like a picture of like the bathtub. And like, there, it's not like he sent her a dick pic or something like that, but like, what world does this even happen? I think your point is super interesting because my response is I fired him, right? Like he's within three months that happened. And it's like, that's not the culture I want to perpetuate. But the thing is, is that that guy is going to go into another job now and he's probably going to do the same shit somewhere else. And so that's not actually even going to reach him. 
So I would say really for me, it's about the next generation and making sure you set the tone with the next generation so that they understand that that's just not a fucking acceptable thing to do. And that can't happen. Yeah, because I think letting someone go isn't enough of a consequence. They just won't put it on their resume. So then they can just go on with their life and technically no consequences were there. Hopefully some guys learn from that or, you know, try to internalize it and and figure out the root of that cause, but most don't need to. Yeah. And I think to add to that too, like, I think it's also largely what's been normalized for them. And so like in their eyes, maybe they didn't do anything. And really, if you actually want to look at the situation, it's like, yeah, like you actually fucking did, man. You can't talk to people like that. And I'm sorry, I keep on swearing. I should try to keep it (laughs) clean. But, you know, it's it's like people are a product of, of their environment a lot of times and, you know, their upbringing and you know, obviously we can't put everything on their upbringing, but, you know, if they're in an environment where this is just the way that people are uh, communicating with each other, like, you know, maybe it's very toxic environment and the, the men are all acting a certain way. So maybe they're like, oh, well, I just, I'm, I'm just here. Like, this is normal. This is part of my life. Mm-hmm. And so I think on a whole, it's, it, we need to just start making sure these people can't get jobs. Yeah. I think that's hard to do though, because, you know, the whole story of like men are from Mars and women are from Venus. I like, this is just the way we are. And anytime you try to enforce change, it's like, well, this is the way it's always been. How about you get the whole world to agree to to change. And you know, the other thing that we hear all the time is like, oh, well, that person's like an integral part of our team, or like we need them. They're such a great part of our, like our, our, you know, whatever we're doing, that doesn't change the fact that this person's also a scumbag. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't care how talented of a sommelier they are, or how great of a bartender they are, they're a dirtbag. And so how are you going to say now that this person is a great bartender, but don't worry about all the other stuff. They're not going to consider it. How do you feel about self-proclaimed male feminists? Do you think that that's, that's possible? Do you think that it's a PR play? How have you felt about that? I feel like it's a PR play, but I also don't know, okay, other than politics, mm-hmm. who else would do that? And like, I think that's the, the thing for me is like politics, I kind of get it, I guess. These people are trying to like appeal to women voters. Other than that, like, I, I, I don't know. And I think that at this point for me, every decent person should be a feminist, like, and believe that there, there needs to be a really, a little bit more symbiotic of a a relationship and there's still a glass ceiling that exists and understand that there's still real issues that occur on a daily basis that there's still a pay gap and that's the part that I think sometimes boggles my my mind a little bit is like there's so many so many issues if someone's like oh no that's not me you're just a bad person (laughs) like you're just an asshole do you think that in your circle that there's more people saying that they're we're all just feminists versus like no I don't agree with that so I'm just gonna not call myself a feminist and just kind of live my life I don't know that I've ever called myself a feminist and I don't know that I would but it's not that I don't believe in it it's just I would say though that in my friend group you know I think we're all very specific about the way that we we approach gender and race and we do have hard conversations and and again, going back to the fact that I want to reiterate, like I'm a white man, like I'm I'm lucky and privileged in my life that I have. And sure, everybody is built different. And, you know, I don't have to experience certain things the same way other people do, but you have to acknowledge that there's a lot of things we need to improve on. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really interesting because I thematically see two, two main stances with white men, like either they recognize their privilege and, you know, don't try to be an asshole kind of thing. And then there's the ones that do, right? That are like, oh, so I can't be proud of myself too, kind of kind of concept. So how do you deal with your your peers that are like that? My role as a chef uh, 
I would say I would probably encounter them more at work than social dynamics, just because my friend group doesn't really have that. And if it's at work, then I'm just pretty quick to say, look, everyone has an opinion. You need to respect the fact that everyone's viewpoint is different. And I, I really believe that. Like, you know, it's, I, I don't know that this person will necessarily ever agree with what I'm saying, but at the end of the day, if they're interested in talking, I'm happy to have a conversation about it. And, you know, the moment that the conversation turns uh, into something that's not productive and there it turns into like an argument about stuff that's not relevant, then I'll stop it. But yeah, I've had to check a few people that have made kind of claims like mental health isn't a real thing and things like that, that you're just like, wait, what? did you just really say that? Like, and you know, it, it's, it's just part of the job. And I, I think for me, again, it's respecting that they, they're people and that what they're feeling might be valid for them, but it's important to respect what everyone else is feeling as well. I agree. Totally. Do you feel any fear being a white male that like, you know, all the fingers are pointed at you that you like can't do anything correctly or that, you know, you're always uh, you know, under scrutiny. Yeah. I have such a, so yes, a little bit. And I think that's normal and I think that's okay. But I'll tell you an example, like on Instagram, there was a bit of a heated conversation I, I wanted to get involved in and I wasn't so much trying to argue with somebody. I don't really believe in arguing on like social media like that or discussing, but I did want to say something and I kept on going to write something and I kept on stopping myself, understanding that no matter what I said, I don't feel like it would ever be heard because of the fact that I'm a white male. Mm. So you didn't say anything? No. So then that doesn't help then, right? Because then now you're silenced for the sake of others. And that's basically the beginning of of the oppressed, right? Like that's the same concept of how it began. Yeah. Right? Where you don't feel comfortable, you don't feel safe to to say what you want to say because you're going to get that instant attack. Yeah. And, you know, I think that uh, I agree 100%. I mean, it's it was a really difficult feeling because, you know, it was around a conversation around mental health and I really did want to say something, but someone was getting called out and, you know, it was just a very difficult situation. And, you know, I, I wouldn't, I would never say like I'm oppressed and I'm lucky to say that, but I do think that in some contexts, you know, people getting called out is really not productive. You know, it might work sometimes, but I think getting called in is a lot more effective when you can have a dialogue because, you know, with social media, especially like if someone makes a blanket statement, what are you looking for? What are you looking to get out of it is often like what I'm, what I'm feeling. And it's like, why don't we just talk about this? And if you have a viewpoint, I'm happy to listen to you. I will always respect that. And you're absolutely right. I mean, it's, it's a complicated situation. And to be honest with you, I, I think that people are charged up and that's completely fair. I understand that. And I get that, but you know what, there are times absolutely where I, I feel like I want to say something and it might not be the place for it. Well, I think that the reason that there are toxic people out there is they're not ready to admit that they weren't the best. And there's multiple reasons for why, you know, like back in the day, people didn't talk about certain things or that was just literally the way things were. And people did accept it just as they were, you know, no one was really uh, enforcing change. And, you know, I can admit as well that I was pretty toxic on the other side of, you know, calling guys out all the time and attacking them in a very aggressive way and forcibly silencing them. And I think that's the key to self-growth when you admit your own faults and then seek to be better. So what would you say, if you have any advice to say to people that can overcome that? Yeah, I think that's a great point. I mean, I think that, you know, being self-aware is very important. And like I was saying earlier, it's, it's a, a skill set. Like, you know, I, I think it's wrong to just assume and, and think that we're good at everything. I think it's important to continue to work at certain things. And I think self-growth is one of them. And I think self-awareness is a big one. Being better at communication is another big one because communication is another part of that too, right? Where that could mean the way we're communicating or the amount that we're communicating or both, right? Like 
I think that even the way people communicate in regards to like from a physical perspective, like sometimes people sit with their arms crossed and um, like, especially chefs, like, right, this, the classic chef stance and right away, that's really abrasive. Like people pick up on that really quickly. And I think it's about being understand, excuse me, understanding that there there's room for growth as for us as people, we need to work on ourselves as people before try to train others to be better people Mm -hmm. or at the same time. Right. But like having that self-awareness piece. Yeah, for sure. What is your take on self-awareness with women intimately? I mean, you've been, how long have you been in your relationship for? Yeah. So we're going on five years. Um, sorry, what do you mean? Like, like, are we communicative about like our about, well, I mean, I guess I don't really need to have a conversation of consent with you because you've been with the same partner for like five years. But, um, so I guess my question for you differently would be, how do you communicate more intimacy with your partner? And actually, it's interesting that you say that. I remember having a conversation with someone about the amount of rape that actually happens within relationships. It's super high. Yeah, consent is real for everybody. Like, and I, I totally appreciate where you're coming from. But with my partner, I, I think it's important to have honest dialogue about where we're at. And, you know, because we have been together for five years, I think it's about if we are needing something more or if we're if like where we're at just with what we want. I think that's something that we continue to do, which is which is really important. What um, is rape in a relationship? Yeah. And so, again, this is coming from a conversation, actually, I had with my mother, which is kind of a weird thing oh. to say. Yeah, I mean, and it, this is quite a while ago, but it's something that stuck with me. Um, so my mother, before she was, um, before she was came out of the closet, she uh, was married three times, and her first husband was quite abusive. And so, you know, he put her in the hospital a few times, and you know, it really has impacted her in a lot of different ways. Obviously, needless to say, I mean, she was 16 when she had her first kids, and 18 when she had the second, and with this with this abusive man. We were talking about that relationship, and that's where she brought it up. She said, you know, like consent is is the same for relationships and this is like a conversation about consent before like I feel like people were really talking about consent which I really value because it put in perspective and it's like ultimately speaking she's like you know if one person is not interested then that's no Mm -hmm. like that's just not it from that story it was like I won't go into details of her personal life but like it's things that really like the fact that it stuck with me for for over 20 years is you know it says something right I mean, I don't really have a lot of long-term relationships, so I didn't really think that you needed to consent every single time because I I, I thought like, you know, once, once you get across the first kiss and like you, you cross the line, right? And then you can ask for the next line and the next line. And then once you've crossed those lines, that's a go every single time. But like, I also think it's very extreme to ask at every single time. So how would you read the situation so that you know that there's there's equal respect and, and boundaries being met? Is it like a, a verbal cue? Like, what do you guys do? Yeah, I think it's more uh, of an emotional cue, right? Like if you're trying to, you know, get into the mood or whatever you want to say, and like, it's clear that the other person is not, then I think that's like a pretty clear indication to stop. Or, and if you're not sure, just ask, right? Like, hey, you know, are you, and it's like, oh, I'm tired right now. But I'm tired right now doesn't mean like, okay, well, just like, just make it quick or like, whatever, you know what I mean? Like, I'm tired right now is like, no. Mm, okay. So like, yeah, like verbal and, and also physical cues for sure. You know, and I think that like, just because a partner comes home drunk doesn't mean that there's something that's going to happen. Okay. Is that usually the It's not so much. My, no, it's, yeah, it's not so much my relationship. It's just something that, you know, again, I've heard in the past is just like, and you know, I've seen, maybe it's a stereotype, but I've seen like, you know, a drunk guy coming home and being like, yeah, let's, hey, let's get into something. And it's like, uh, no, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, maybe I'm speaking out of turn here. I mean, I, I've seen memes like that, you know, like when the other person's not ready, but you're, you know, in a mood. So yeah, I didn't, I didn't even think about that. 
so as so I'm kind of like on the other side where I don't really have a lot of intimate relationships I have a lot of sexual relationships but they're not intimate you know like I can never get a deeper connection because there's no investment for a deeper connection so it's very transactional and I think I'm able to get more communication because that's all we talk about right so if you're in a in a relationship that's more emotionally charged how do you talk do you talk at all about like you know how do you spice things up what are your sexual needs like do you get to that and how how do you get to that yeah no totally we do and you know what it's super important to to have those conversations because i feel like there's an inevitable period of time and like i can i'm sure you understand as someone who has sexually charged relationships where you get to a point where you're like okay well i'm ready for something different i think for us it's a matter of having that communication with the other person as to where we're at and just being completely honest right and i think honesty is the foundation for that of again are you getting what you need and i think that the relationship wouldn't work if it was if this, there was no sexual energy so you think that's necessary for it, for the i think every relationship's kind of unique maybe people have an arrangement that they're not getting their sexual needs fulfilled by that person but they're getting it from somebody else maybe that's their setup but i feel like you know, for our relationship and my relationship, that it is the the case that it just needs to be an open conversation because it's it's important, right? I, I feel like as humans, and I don't know if it's um, something that's innate to us, but as humans, like I feel like we're sexually charged. That's just something. You're absolutely right. That's something that is important. Does your partner's satisfaction with your performance affect you and and how you feel as a man and your self-worth? I would say that in, in the past, there's been a few times that I've had performance issues. And I think that that's affected me more than the overall, because overall, I think it's pretty positive and overall, it's pretty good. Um, there was a period of time where I was really depressed. And when I was really depressed, uh, my libido was way down. And, you know, having a low libido on top of being depressed is super hard because like you might want to engage in sexual acts and just not be able to. And I think to me, that's a really challenging um, aspect. But again, I think that there's a lot of um, shame that comes with that, you know, and a lot of like it's there's a lot of stigma around that. And that's a big part of it as well. And then it starts attacking like the preconceived notions of your manhood and all these other stereotypes that we've kind of discussed. But I think that the goal of a healthy sexual relationship is to make sure that the communication is, is there about what you're doing to satisfy in the right way. Off the bat, maybe you're not the best lover for this person. And, you know, maybe for someone else, you're a great lover. But like the goal is if you're wanting to be with this person to try to get to the point where you can be a great lover for this person. So, I mean, I don't, I don't know how to associate, but like if you have a low libido and you want to, you know, engage in this way, how do you, how do you communicate that where you can feel fulfilled or like, how does your partner help you kind of deal with your shame and your guilt? Is it like through communication or are there like other ways of intimacy that you guys can engage in? Yeah, it takes, it takes a lot of communication because I think the other thing is that my partner at that time when I was really depressed felt like it was them, yeah. right? So like, it's like trying to be like, no, it's not you. And then trying to also tell myself it's not me, but it is me, right? So yeah, yeah it's, it's a super complex situation. And what I ended up having to do is really put in a lot of work to dig myself out of a hole. Like, you know, a lot more physical activity, a lot more everything, you know, ultimately trying to get myself out of that place where I was in such a depressive state was really the answer. Like it was just a matter of situationally, it was, it was not a good place to be in for so many different reasons. I think that's crazy how much your mind can affect your entire body. And yet you put so much importance on your sexual performance, yet that completely relies on your mind, right? And you, totally. you just totally ignore your mind and you're just like, 
why won't you perform? And it's just, it's interesting that you have to go through that full circle to, to solve that issue. Cause, cause usually you're like, oh, there's like, a, there could be instant ways to fix that in the, in the, in the meantime, you know what I mean? Where it's clearly a long-term process. Yeah. And it, it's, it's hard because it compounds like the issue compounds in the sense that like, um, if it happens once, then it, you have like the tension and you're like, oh shit, is that going to happen again? Like, what was that about? And like, obviously trying to decipher is like, what does that mean? Is, am I just getting old? Like, is this the thing now? Is this how it works? And so like, you start having all these thoughts after once. And then if it happens again, then you're like, holy fuck. Like, and you know, at what point do you start kind of looking further and reading deeper into it? And again, like I was saying, the the challenge as well as the communication with the partners, it, it gets worse and worse for them as well. It's because like, now it's like, oh, do you not find me attractive at all? Like, am I, are we done? Is this it? So yeah, it's super, super complex. And you're right. Like the mind is so powerful. Your your mind is just as powerful as your body and you can't have one without the other. So do you, I mean, a lot of people think this way, like when you're over the relationship, you know, like you, you kind of don't see, see this long-term or this working anymore. Does that affect your libido and your general attraction to them? Like it just kind of oh, totally. disintegrates. Yeah. You know what? It's funny that you say that. Like I've I've had relationships in the past that were like something as simple as like the person saying something that to me I'd be like turned off, like just like not into you anymore. And you know what? I I feel like you kind of are better served to listen to your body, like listen to your heart at that point. Like I remember going out for dinner with a woman who just was like, "Yeah, I'm not really into food." And I'm like, <laughs> "Okay, well, again, like I'm a chef and like my whole life is that." And I the rest of it was just like I was just like I can't even like I can't understand this. Like I there's no point to me even doing anything here. And at that point the attraction went from being like, "Okay, you're attractive" to being like, "Yeah, I have no interest in you." So yeah, absolutely. So why do people stay in the relationship when like you, you don't even like the person at all you you don't like anything they say anything they say like aggravates you and makes you shut down you know and you don't even care you know I think there's a few things like that's definitely a, a complicated question but like I think people are scared of change is one of them I think another reason is that people I, I idealize relationship sometimes so it's like maybe there's one aspect of you that I think is like really what I want to build on and like that aspect is amazing it's like oh well when this person is like this then they're so great and this could be amazing and it's like well yeah but that's one aspect out of this whole person that we're talking about here and I think people like the idea of of having that significant other like the companionship right people are scared to be alone and so sometimes it's I want to be with you just so I'm not alone because maybe if I break up with you, I'm never going to find someone that I actually want to be with. I, I think those are the big ones that I've thought about in the past. It's And I, I think it's scary. I mean, there's a reason I think our divorce rate is so high, right? And it's it comes back to, again, I think of awareness of, of self. I have a, a newer theory where I think people stay in these toxic relationships to validate that they deserve to be miserable. And then when they do fix them minutely, they, they can attach themselves to those many moments of improvement and be like, oh, remember that one time in the past, this, this was the true best part of our relationship. Right. And then that like convinces them to keep going on. Yeah. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I think that, I think the term self-medicating right in different ways, and that might be with somebody. You're absolutely right. Yeah, for sure. Well, this has been a pretty interesting conversation. Um, I just want to wrap up with two questions. What negative ideas do women that you know have about themselves that you wish could be different or could change? I think for me is the way that the media portrays women. Specific regards to like, you know, I remember, uh, again, as a teenager, even being aware of it then, like the way that like the, the magazines portray women should look like that whole like should and like the whole like oh you need to be super skinny and you need to be this and you need 
to be that. I think that to me has always been one of the most harmful things. And it's it's just such a shame. And now with social media and, and young women, I know it's a really, a really challenging time. And it's like the fact that it's so apparent of like, and, and it floods your Instagram feed and your social media feed, but all over the media, it's just like there, here's what you should be doing. Here's what you should be buying. Here's how you should look. So I think for me, that's definitely one of them. Yeah, that's that's a huge one. Those expectations that you can't escape. And that's a constant reminder that you're not good enough, right? Absolutely. And it could even just be like, oh, these shoes. If you don't have these shoes, you're not cool. Yeah, the, that constant expectation and that constant like should. I think that's such a dangerous word. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and my last question to you is based on all of the things that we talked about today, what topics jumped out to you the most that you would invite another man to elaborate on further in another episode on the show? I think overall the introspection. Like I think that actually being forced to reflect on some of these circumstances that have happened to me in the past has been really interesting because um, I think it's it's forced me to look at it from a different lens slightly. Like again, some of these examples of people getting passed up on jobs, etc. You know, it might not be things that I've thought about for several years. And I think it's things that I've really, you know, when you start to be able to name things and put like you're kind of like, oh yeah, that's what it was. So I think it's interesting to look at specific examples of how patriarchy in society has affected your life. Yeah, I love that. This has been an amazing conversation. Thanks so much for listening today. Don't forget to subscribe to the show if you haven't already. And if you want to be on the show, slide into my DMs at Miss Amanda Chen on Instagram, and I'll see you again next Wednesday. Bye for now. Bye.